0: One out, nobody on the playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three, call to the knees, and right down the middle of the plate, but down. Murphy. Some games go. We're gonna stay out in the field tonight. Hello and welcome to Autographs. This is episode 18. Uh, I apologize for a little bit of the break in between episodes. Um, some of you may know if you're playing auto new baseball, that auto new football also runs now in parallel to the baseball season. And uh, I and Justin Viver, who also records with us, we've been spending a lot of time uh, doing some auto new football content and also preparing for our own drafts. Um, so that's where we've been, um, but we're back for baseball. We're going to try and be with you again weekly and then into the off season. Um, Just before we get started, I'm Tom Alterzywski, and uh, I'm joined tonight by Joe Douglas. How are you doing, Joe? Good, Tom. How are you? Good. Um, so the topic we wanted to talk about today, uh, we just passed the auto new trade deadline. We wanted to talk a little bit about some strategies kind of for this last month or so in the season. We're a little over a month from the end of the season now. Um, And depending if your team has been uh, a championship contender to this point, or if you're kind of been rebuilding over the year, there are some strategies that start to come into play towards the end of the season. So we wanted to just run down some of those and talk about kind of how we prefer to play and and what some of, we think the most efficient strategies are. We have a a quick memoriam for the trade deadline. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you pulled
1: any deadline deals or not, but I, uh, I pulled a couple luckily I'm only in three leagues and not 25 like Justin. So I, um, tried to plan it out a little bit going into uh right into the off season or coming i mean coming up to the trade deadline just like looking at my roster but i i know justin was probably struggling just from a sheer uh overload of information
0: yeah stuff i play in four leagues and even that can be a little overwhelming so i sometimes i don't even know how he deals with it yeah, <laughs> not sure. yeah. so um we got some topics lined up here. Uh, Joe, do you want to go first, maybe with one of these little mini topics and then we'll kind of go from there?
1: Yeah, we've talked about this a couple times. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it on other podcasts. I know I've mentioned it in a couple different posts that I've written for Rotographs. but uh, the general idea that I try to pace at 15... 150 innings for the year to 1600, uh, instead of staying right at my 1500 inning cap pace. Um, And the reason for that, I think, is that it's really easy um, for a lot of owners to be really conservative with innings and ignore pitchers if they have a bad matchup, because it's a lot easier to make up innings than it is games. Um, And I agree with that, but I think what typically happens then is that you'll get to the end of the year, like right now, and you'll be below 1500 innings, say you're at 1450, Um, So you're in a spot where you really have to be starting everyone now. And typically what happens with that is that you end up having to start pitchers who are either um, worse from a talent perspective or in worse matchups. And if you do that, um, the chances of actually taking advantage of being more selective early in the year uh, is less because now you're stuck starting or starters um, on top of that. Otter new has a 1500 inning cap and like a lot of head to head leagues, it's a soft cap. So really what you want to do is that on that last day, you want to be as close to 1500 innings as you can. Um, and then you want to stack your lineup with every starter that you can get your hands on um, or relief pitcher. I mean, you basically want five starters, five relievers all pitching that last day. Um, While you can do that, if you're pacing at 1500 innings right now, um, typically if you pace at around 1550 or around there, maybe a little bit over, I'd... I would rather be on the high side than the low side at this point. Um, It gives you about a week to a week and a half to be able to go through your lineups and say, okay, I don't need this pitcher next year. I can cut him and pick up random starter A who I'm going to plug into my lineup um, and really like basically um, stack the decks that you have five starters that last day and can actually take advantage
0: Yeah, I I really like that idea, too, of pacing yourself a little higher early in the year, because I do feel like it's also very easy to, you know, if you end up like at 1600 innings projected, it's very easy to, you know, slack off for a couple weeks and let yourself get back down. Um, But I also like the idea that uh, I kind of feel like earlier in the season and kind of in in midseason, you're probably going to have the most amount of talent on your team because every team suffers from some injuries You know, and I think what can be really dangerous is if you try to be conservative early and then suddenly you have a couple injuries to guys. Now, late, you you get in that situation you described where you kind of just have to start everybody, like all hands on deck. I would much rather, you know, if I have a a guy who's a good but not elite pitcher, I'd rather start some of those guys early on and not try to get too cute. Because if one of them gets injured, it's a lot more dangerous to be having to start crappy guys now than to just have taken like the medium good start back then. Yeah,
1: I agree. And I think that
0: it kind of goes back to the idea
1: that like, if you're looking at your team, it's a, it's really easy in April or May to say, you know what, this matchup isn't fantastic, so I'm not going to pitch a guy. And I've certainly done that. Um, but what ends up happening then is that you get to June and you're at 1,400 innings. or And 1,400 innings in June is fine. That's easier to make up. Um, but if you just say, you know what, I'm trying to stay at 1,500 as my target, it's a lot easier um, to then blow past your caps uh, and also kind of have a baseline of how selective you actually need to be instead of just saying, you know what, it doesn't matter if I'm at 1300 innings in the middle of June or beginning of July, because I can just make those innings up. Um, because what ends up happening then is that you're undoing all the work that you did in being selective by, <laughs> by having to start every single pitcher um, the last half of the year in order to make that up. The other thing that happens, which I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Um, I'm sure Justin or Trey would have thoughts on it. Um, they'll probably mention them after the fact. But the idea that if you're gonna if you're behind on your innings caps now, like let's say you're at 1,400 and you need to make up 100 innings in less than a month, um, you're gonna get stuck with not only needing to start everyone, but needing to roster more starting pitchers. Okay, so now instead of needing eight starting pitchers, maybe you need 12 or 13. Well, if you're doing that, um, especially if you're not, not competitive in the sense that like you're pushing for the number one spot, um, you are going to have to cut other players on your roster that you might want to keep, or that could be helpful for you in meeting your games caps. So it's not just like, oh, I add the starters and I don't lose anything. There's going to be an opportunity cost because now you might miss a game or two at another position if you don't have the offensive depth. Um.
0: So, yeah, or it could even help your opponent, depending on you know yeah. somebody's chasing you and you have to drop like a nice bench hitter or something. Yeah, you can end up helping them because you forced yourself into this place where you had to pick up so many pitchers. Exactly. Um, so, I, and I don't think that's something that's necessarily been discussed. I, I know that we all
1: tend to, um, tend to want to be conservative and pick good starts, and I agree with that. But I think we probably want to be a little more liberal in choosing those than we currently are. Um,
0: yeah. And if you're, I, I was just thinking, like, as you were saying, like, it kind of comes down to me the idea between being able to choose to be selective or to, you know, be forced into a certain situation. And, and I think, Leon, you know, it's nice to be able to choose early on which starts you're going to make. You just don't want to be so choosy that you end up in a situation where at the end of the season, you don't have a choice. Your only choice is to start everybody. Exactly.
1: And if you know at the
0: beginning of the season, um, it's a lot easier to
1: either inflate or deflate your innings caps at the beginning of the year. But if you say, you know what, I, I'm targeting that by June 1st, I'm going to be at 1,500 innings or 1,550. Um, you can really help yourself out in the event that, like you said, someone gets injured or whatever else. Um, that's just something I personally like to do. But as far as um, pitchers that actually, um, I'm that I'm looking at in order to like stack the decks the final month. Can we talk about that at all? Um, yeah, because I have mm-hmm. a couple in mind. So I'm specifically looking at the NL East. Um, And my reason for that is that you have the Phillies and the Braves, who are terrible uh, offenses. And then you also have a couple of good parks. So the Mets have a decent park. Nationals are, I think, league average as far as park factors go. The Marlins are favorable. Um, So you have favorable parks. You also have two really bad teams. Well, it helps, too, that because of scheduling, the NL East is playing each other the whole final month of the season. So... The Braves play two series against the Phillies, two against the Mets, two against the Nationals and two against the Marlins. OK, and the Marlins, I, I mean, in the Phillies, play two series against the Braves, the Mets and the Marlins. So if I can get my hands on anyone on the Braves, the Mets, the Marlins, the Phillies, the Nationals, um, even if they're just back of the rotation guys, it might chances of having a favorable matchup are actually pretty high. Um, so a good example of this might be if you look at like uh, CC Sabathia right now. CeCe's been really good the past month, uh, but the chance of actually having a really good matchup where you're trying to avoid a home run, especially in Yankee Stadium, are pretty low. Um, so even though the talent's a lot higher than, say, someone like an A.J. Cole, um, and if I was just picking for the full season, I would rather have CC. I might take A.J. Cole right now. Because AJ Cole is going to be pitching against the Phillies, he's going to be pitching against the Braves, the Mets, the Marlins, um, but in these terrible, well, not terrible, sorry, in these good parks, terrible for him. So, um, right, that, against th- terrible teams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so even though I don't necessarily feel strongly about um, AJ Cole specifically long term. I could maybe get two or three really good starts out of him. If I have CC right now, I might be picking between one of three that I think is good, and then maybe crossing my fingers on another one. Um, and I don't feel so strongly about CC that I want to that I want to take him uh, in the potential home run over someone of slightly lesser quality. So that I, if I'm streaming right now, that's the way that I'm doing it. Um, especially for the final month of the season, I'm taking I'm looking at park factors. I'm looking at uh, the opposing team. And pitcher quality, while it plays into it, is not going to be nearly as impactful. Uh, really, what I want to do is um, pick matchups that I think will avoid a home run. And if I if I get six innings, no strikeouts, but he doesn't he doesn't hit a home run, or sorry, none of the opposing hitters hit a home run, I'm happy with that.
0: Um, so yeah, and I think just to jump off that real quick, and then we'll move on to the next um, you know mini topic. I, I think that same logic applies to. That day when you cross 1500, which, if you know, if anybody is playing who this is going into your first end of an new season, we haven't quite fully explained that, but Joe mentioned there's a soft cap in Ottawa. So the day that you cross 1500, you get anybody that starts that day, but then after that day, you can't start anybody else. You're not going to get any more innings, even if you start the guy. So, what you want to do is try and get really close, get up to like 1498. And then stack all your pitchers that day. That's what Joe was mentioning. Try and start five starters if you can and try to get all your relievers in because that will let you get the most innings over 1,500. And, you know, theoretically, everybody in your league can take advantage of this, but it might be a situation where if you can kind of maneuver better, that could be the thing that helps you edge out an opponent. Yeah. And I really like this idea of the um some of the NLE starters because if you can even pick up some of those guys like A.J. Cole or, you know, the Mets have some guys on the back end There's a lot of these back-end guys that if you can kind of strategize out and figure out that five of them are going to be pitching the same day, and maybe you have like two of you are real, you're good starters, and then you can pick up three back-end guys, and you're going to start them on that day when you cross 1,500, even if they don't have a great game, you know, if they just put up like 20 points in six innings, normally that wouldn't be a great game, but when you're crossing 1,500, it's just about total points. You don't need to worry about points per inning because you're getting free innings at that point. You just want to get as many innings of not negative points. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, you look at it and say, okay, well, if everyone else has fifteen hundred innings at the end of the year, let's say they're like within five of that, and I can get to fifteen twenty five, but I get two points per inning for that those extra twenty five innings. That's still an extra fifty points.
0: Yeah, and they're free points if you know if nobody else in your league crosses fifteen hundred out. Of it. Now you may be playing against other owners who will try the same strategy. So you might have to fight them out for some of these players who line up on good days. But, you know, even if your opponent manages to get 15, 20, you can at least keep pace with them and potentially get 20 free innings. You know, and like you said, even if they're not at a great points per inning, you're just racking up some free points there at the end.
1: Exactly. And real quick on those pitchers. um, So a couple names that I like Seth Lugo, AJ Cole, Robert Glessman. Uh, and John Gantt were a couple who are starting on those teams. There are going to be others I was watching Gant last night. Yeah, but it, it's basically looking at um, the back of the rotation because the top of those rotation guys are going to be owned. And one other point on this before we move on to our next point um, for the podcast is that because the NL East is playing each other the final month of the season, these probably aren't going to be the guys that you can pick. Um, you're not going to be able to pick two guys on the same team and be able to just stack your lineup with them okay so if you right ideally you
0: want like a net a a philly a brave a marlin like kind of one from each of these teams to try and line them up all on the same day yeah so
1: if you wanted like glessman and uh, glessman and lugo um you're not going to be able to stack them on the same day because they're going to be on the same team pitching on opposite days. So um, just something to keep in mind, but I like that division as a potential area to stack innings, especially if you're behind, if you're at 1450 right now, go all in NL East because there's a lot of games against bad teams um, and they're all playing each other and there's good parks um, and they can at least help you get to the inning cap as well. So,
0: yeah. You to, All right. Well, let's uh, kind of move to the next, which is, you know, the flip side of this. We have talked a lot on various podcasts about the idea of, um, of stacking your lineup early on. You know, people have asked us questions about how conservative should I be about, you know, not starting a hitter in a bad lineup? Should I leave an empty spot? For the most part, we've said that kind of early and through the midseason, you should start someone almost every day, you know, because you don't want to get to that same point in the end of the season where not only are you down a couple of games at a position, but it's much harder to make up batting games than it is to make up innings. So you might not just be in a place where you have to start everyone, but you might just not be able to make them up, period. Um, the good news in, in that case is if you followed that advice, you're probably a little bit ahead on a lot of your um on your games limits. You know, you can get 162 games at any position. Maybe you're at 170, you know, at outfield or not at outfield where you get more, uh at middle infield or shortstop or third base. Um so I do think now is kind of the time where you can be a little more conservative there and start to really kind of target that last day. You know, I, what I almost don't want to get in this situation is where I've been at 170 the whole time. And then I get down towards the end of the season and I have a whole week left and I have, you know, Troy Tulowitzki or someone on my bench who's a great hitter. And I can't start them like in the last week of the season. So. I would start kind of playing the matchups a little more and make sure that I'm going to be able to get the most games out of the best hitters on my team and be more conservative benching, you know, some of my backup guys or maybe even benching someone like to if they have a really bad matchup against a great pitcher to try and um, it's not necessarily about getting down to the last day for your 162 games, but just about making sure, you know, with the month left that the maximum amount of those games come from your best hitters and not from the bench. Which is, like I said, a little bit the reverse of what we uh, emphasized early in the season. Now, hopefully, you can reap the benefit of that by being more selective.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, Tom. Uh, one minute. Sorry, this dog's barking real quick. I'm a... <laughs> I'll leave this part in. Okay. <laughs> this is, For this anyone, is anyone doesn't, who wants to know, I'm dog sitting and they're <laughs> being little hellions right now. So I'll be back. <laughs> I am sorry about that. <laughs> So on the point of game caps, I have actually gone through my leagues and tried to start someone every day. So just to give you an idea of where you'd be sitting if you did that, um, and this isn't like apples to apples across leagues, but it'll at least give you an idea. So right now, at all the positions with 162 game caps, that'd be first, second, shortstop, middle infield, third base, and utility. I'm between 162 and 165, and then at outfield, I'm at 819 out of 810. So for me, I personally feel really good about that, but I don't feel as though I can be super conservative in picking games going forward. Um, what I will probably do is continue to start someone every day. And then as we get to the final week, two weeks, um, so maybe towards the end of September, I will be a little bit more selective um, because I would rather I would rather hit my game cap than not hit my game cap. And if that means I hit it two days early, well, so be it. Um, but that's my my own personal preference um so i i might be a little bit more selective maybe in like two weeks or so um but at
0: this point yeah, i think that makes sense yeah uh, it, and i guess um it, and, I, I might be in a little different situation because i on my own teams i tend to be like heavily depth oriented so sometimes you know while other teams might say if you know there's a monday where a lot of mlb teams have the day off a lot of times i am still starting a lot of guys that day because i prioritize heavily having a lot of bench depth, you know, as opposed to maybe using some of those spots for prospects or for, you know, young players who are not quite playing every day yet. Um, so I, I, I do notice sometimes towards the end of the season, I sometimes will be at 170 or more um, and I can be a little more selective. Whereas it sounds like on your teams, you're a little closer to 162. Yeah. I think um, some of that might be just having guys who are in platoon type roles. So maybe that's, that's true. They're just, neither of them are starting and then, You know, and I was going to say, I think that kind of illustrates we've talked about how it's so easy to fall behind at your um, at your lineup game caps. Yeah. And I think that kind of illustrates it. Even if you start someone every day, a lot of times you will only be at, you know, 165 or 168. And, And that's, you know, someone like you, who's I'm sure very careful about starting someone pretty much every day, making sure that you don't kind of miss out on substitutions or when someone goes in the DL, you know, accidentally leaving them. So it's you really have to be careful over the course of the season. You know, if you if someone goes in the DL and you miss it and you let them sit in that lineup spot for 3 days, you know, that could easily take you from 162 projected to 159 and now you're going to have to find a way to make those up. Whereas with the pitching you have like a lot more freedom to, you know, it might not be ideal but you have freedom to start a bunch of guys if you need to. Exactly. And I think um the other side of this would be that if you were too conservative or you were below
1: your game caps right now just to give you an idea if you're below like 125 130 at catcher you're probably not going to make it you need to start two catchers a day if you're below 158 you probably won't make it at the other 162 game cap positions and then at outfield right. you probably want to be around 800 at a minimum right now um or you're going to end up below and leave games on the table so i i even if I'm if I'm below my caps, I'm starting someone every day. And this kind of goes back uh, to the innings point as well. If I'm below on innings and game caps, well, then you're really going to end up losing somewhere. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I had mentioned before, like, there is a cost to, to being really selective with innings. Because now if you're, you say, well, I know I can make up the innings, you're going to end up behind on the game caps more so than you would have been because you don't have the luxury of being able to sit guys. Um, so it all kind of works together from a roster construction standpoint. So,
0: yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess those two points kind of had a lot to do with, you know, how you built your team earlier in the season. The next thing I had on the list is something that really, I think, comes into play like 95 percent of the time during this last month um, and not so much at the rest of the season, which is kind of the idea of auction blocking, um, which at least when I say that, I mean specifically either starting or bidding on an auction um, because you are trying to block one of your opponents, Um, You know, during the season, sometimes you might think about if somebody, one of the other opponents in the league, if they're bidding on someone, you might want to try and stop them because you think they're one of your strong contenders. But when you get in this last month, sometimes you get in a situation where maybe you're looking at the day that you're going to try and go over uh, 1500 innings and you see that one of your opponents, you know, has four starters lined up and they're trying to win the fifth. Um, One thing I've done in the past, and Joe, I'm sure you've done this strategy, too is I will actually bid on that player much more than I maybe value him at, because I know I can directly block my opponent, you know, and actually cause them um, to lose some points that might help me beat them out. And usually I don't, I wouldn't recommend this during the, you know, the main part of the season during mid season and early, just because you don't really have enough budget space usually to throw it around like that. But when you get this late in the season, you kind of reach a point where if you have cap space, you can do this. And, And even where, depending on the situation, sometimes you can cut players that are not relevant anymore. If you have, you know, a, a hitter that you knew you're going to cut in the off season and isn't really producing right now. Sometimes you can go ahead and cut that guy and, and really be aggressive with how you block your opponents. Um, and this used oh, to be think? easier because you used to be able to see who
1: was starting
0: auctions. Yeah, you're so, right. So
1: when, back in the day, you could really block people because you knew, oh, so-and-so. Tom specifically started five auctions for starting pitchers. I wonder what he's doing. Um, <laughs> but now you can't see that. Um, so a couple of things that I'll do, and this is probably getting into my ocg tendencies a bit too much um is i will just pay attention uh i'll watch the times that auctions are started yeah that's Um, a good idea and if i'm starting auctions i will space them out because if you're started if i see five pitchers are auctioned between three and 315 it's probably one team okay but um so that that to me would just like send up a red flag like, hey, you know what? Just watch someone might be trying to go over their
0: caps. Um, and, and actually to jump on that just real quick and then I'll let you go on. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty smart strategy to spread them out too. just because if you're locked in like a tight championship battle, you might end up with something where someone's trying to block you and maybe you bid high on a guy and you win him. But at a high salary and now you need to go change your bids on other guys. It's good to kind of spread those guys out just because you don't want to end up in a situation where you get stuck or where you need to change your bid and you don't have time. Um, Of course, the downside is when you spread them out, you might give your opponent time to change their bids too. So sometimes there's like a little gamesmanship between when you spread them out and when you might actually want to put a couple guys really quick and force your opponents to make a move, which I know I've done in that in the past, like put a bunch of guys up, almost hoping that my opponent might win the earlier one and I could get the later one. There's like some some gamesmanship with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely kind of like an edge case strategy. So um, it's not something that if you listen to this and think, wow, that's really complicated. It's not something I would put too much thought into. Um, Personally, I just look at it and say, like, that's just something I notice that if there are a lot of auctions clustered together, it might be one team. Um, Because you can't see the teams, though, what I typically do is just look and see. um, I check schedules for teams a lot. So like the NLEs thing. Um, check the schedules for the teams, see who the probable starters are, and maybe plan out a week. Because you'll be able to see um, who the probable starters are a couple days in advance and say, you know what, there are these five guys or 10 guys going on two days back to back. So I'm just going to start an auction for all of them and see who I get. Okay, maybe you end up with three guys uh, on each day. Either way, that's fine. Um, Because it's just the idea that you get close to the 1500 inning cap, Um, or or go over it in some capacity is going to be much better than not going over at all. Um, So I would, you don't want to get so hung up on having five, like absolutely having five starters. Sometimes you get stuck with three because of the auction bids and everything else. Um, Right. And you might
0: need to kind of pick your best option at that point. Yeah. But it's just
1: something I would try to do. I I think one of the ways the auction blocking maybe comes up a little bit more though, Maybe might be in the waiver claims Um, at the end of the year, there are a lot of guys who are cut because they won't be kept. Um and you can maybe pick guys back up. So for example, we recently had um in Brinksmanship the League that I'm in with Justin and Trey, uh, you had Giancarlo Stanton be cut, you had Justin Upton be cut throughout, a couple times during the year, you had Garrett Cole be cut recently, um so there were a lot of Cody Allen. I think got cut. He was at eighteen dollars. These are all players who um, either are injured. In Cole's case, right now, who's at thirty-five. He wasn't going to be kept at that salary. Um, so his owner cut him. And as that owner, he knew that um, someone was going to pick him up at eighteen if, if he was cut. So um, he ended up going for twenty-six, which is still it's not a. Terrible salary, you know, but at 28 next year, not going to be a great bargain either. Um, If I had a guy like that and I wasn't competing, I might consider cutting a player like that who I thought was overpriced. And this is kind of getting into a different um, category, but I only mention that because there are a lot of September pop-up guys, um, and if you're rebuilding, you really want to be in on those players. but if you're competing, it is the way to add talent um, that maybe other players would or other teams wouldn't be interested in. So if I have cap space right now um, and someone cut a $40 Chris Archer or whatever, because they didn't think they would keep them at 40, um, if I have the room to be able to cut an $18 reliever who I don't think I'm going to need because I have other relief pitcher depth, I would be claiming, um, like if I had an $18 Wade Davis, for example, I'd be claiming Archer. Cutting Davis and throwing in those, throwing Archer in for those extra innings, especially if I needed innings, um, something along those lines and give you a general idea of the scenario I'm talking about. Um, but in doing that, it's an easy way to pick up talent if you have cap space and kind of buy the talent that you wouldn't otherwise be able to trade for at this point since we're past the deadline.
0: Yeah, and that kind of dovetails with the last point that I had on my list, which was this idea of um, if you're a rebuilding team, maybe cutting some of that dead weight And if you're um, a competing team, just like you mentioned, maybe being more aggressive on somebody that you know you're not going to keep, but it's a little bit the same way as you might trade for a rental player. In this case, you're not really trading talent for them. You might be trading whoever you cut, but you're kind of exercising your financial edge if you have one to acquire those guys as a rental, you know, knowing that you can just use them for the last month. And, um, you know, essentially, it does work out like a trade kind of in what you mentioned. If you have, you know, Wade Davis or someone like that at $20. You're effectively trading them out to the waiver wire uh, for the advantage of taking on a player who is only helpful to you in that championship run. And and I think you can almost be aggressive with that same strategy, um, you know, with not just the auction blocking, but with that idea of maybe bidding more on players towards the end of the season that are going to help you uh, going over 1500 innings. You know, I know there's plenty of cases where a pitcher that maybe during the regular season I would have only bought him for $2. But if I know that I have four pitchers lined up and he could be the fifth one. I might bid you know ten or even twenty dollars on that guy if I think my opponent's going to be in on him, just to get that edge right at the end of the season. And the same the same thing applies where I know I'm just going to cut someone I was going to cut anyway, so I can kind of end up cutting him early to gain that financial edge on the auction I was going for, or like you said, for a, one of those top players that gets cut from a non-contending team.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, so. One of the things, and Justin might yell at me for this, so I really have to be uh, <laughs> careful since it's going to go against his uh, robot ways. Um, but I am more willing to bid more than I think the player might be worth at the end of the year as well. I totally and, um, agree. Especially if I'm rebuilding. Um, and maybe it's not, maybe bidding more than the player's worth is poor phrasing. I, I think I, you just want to be more aggressive on players as they pop up. Okay. So for example, uh, Nick Franklin is a guy that I've picked up in a couple different leagues. Um, it might, might end up being nothing, but, um, I want to see how he does over the final month of the season, because if he ends up producing how he's producing now or has been producing for the past few month or so, um, I would rather have him at $3 than I would some guy I'm going to cut for sure. So it, maybe I think he's worth three right now and I'm willing to go to five or whatever, because worst case scenario, I cut Franklin and like I was go, planning to at the beginning of the year anyways, because I didn't think he was rosterable. Um, but if he breaks out and keeps perform- performing at this extremely high level where he's worth way more than five, um, I might
0: have bought in um, at a price that I originally didn't think was worthwhile, but now ends up looking pretty nice. Um, so yeah, it, and at the very least, maybe you know, maybe you don't buy that he's going to be viable at whatever price you have him next year. Maybe someone else does and you can trade him. So you may have bought, at the very least, a trade asset.
1: Yeah, and worst case scenario, I mean, and this is assuming, too, a lot of rebuilding teams have players that they can cut. So you're, I mean, if you have ten prospects, you don't need ten. You, like, there are going to be guys that you own who are in the minor leagues. Um, for example, like let's say like Dom Smith. Okay, if I have Dom Smith for a dollar, I can have Franklin at five. I want Franklin. Um, yeah, I agree. Because first base prospects are the bar is so high. There are plenty of different reasons. Um, so that, like I can come up with a bunch of different players like who I would probably cut for Franklin. Um. I'm just using him as, like, an acolyte for a larger example here. Um, but I really try to keep a close eye on who the September call-ups are. Um, I look at the Steamer 600 projections. Those help a lot. Um, one of the guys on those lists that keeps popping up is Cardulo in Colorado because you had the Mark Reynolds and Dream Reynolds is back now. Um and he was actually like out of organized baseball for, I think like two or three years. And now he um, is getting intermittent starts in the outfield for them. Well, if, if he ends up getting playing time in the outfield, like you don't have to be a good hitter to get a 340 wOBA Woban course, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, and that, that's really helpful. So they're just, there are guys like Franklin Cardulo. Um, I could think of a couple different other ones, but I just really try to keep an eye on who is being promoted to teams. It might also be someone like, um, AJ Pollock returning from an injury. He's been out all year. Or Yasiel Puig coming back up to the majors. Um, there are a lot of leagues I'm in where Puig was cut um, when he was demoted because he was owned for thirty dollars or whatever.
0: Well, if you're gonna, yeah, I actually really like that strategy of kind of sifting through at the end of the year. Sometimes, actually, what I do is um, I will just go to that free agent search tool, not the one on Fangraphs, but the one right in the league, and I will sift through and sort by cap penalty. Because a lot of times there's players that you might not assume they're a free agent. But if you look through all your leagues, I have four different leagues. You find out that a couple of them have been cut in various leagues. And a lot of times nobody else in the league is really looking for them. Now, you can't really pick them up secretly because you have to start an auction. But a lot of times if nobody was really counting on that player being a free agent, everybody kind of forgot about them. You can put them up for an auction and you'll see a lot of other teams almost get spooked off because they'll say, oh, like I don't know how to value that guy you know, or or they'll say, I'm contending, I can't really afford to spend on him. Sometimes you can pick those guys up for half price, uh, really in this period right now where other teams might not have a strong sense of where they value them. Uh, And kind of like you mentioned with being aggressive in in bidding, I think you can help to be aggressive just with the players you target. Maybe you're going to pick up Puig now and later you cut him. But if you pick up Puig now and You know, who knows? He comes back and he goes on a tear or you have him in the offseason and somebody really likes him and they want to trade. There's a lot of different ways you can get value from that if you pick him up. Um, And I really feel like it it comes back to tell me if I'm using this uh, phrase wrong. But the opportunity cost, you know, during the season, if you pick that guy up and you're not going to get much from him, uh, that like wastes the opportunity to have another good player on your team right now with only a month left, whether you're contending or whether you're rebuilding. You have much less opportunity, you know, to get value from players in the last month. So you can make a move that's kind of targeted for the off season without really doing much harm to your team in season. Yeah, and it doesn't mean
1: that if you cut Puig at thirty that you made a bad move because you're going to be getting thirty dollars back in cap space, and that's really useful for the other team as well. So I wouldn't say I tend to be very aggressive with cuts. So I don't think that if oh, you, yeah, if you yeah. did cut a guy like that, you made a bad move. But I do think that. Um, it, there are a lot of benefits, to especially watching The Wire. Um, and just to give an example of this, this was as of last Friday, but at that point, there were 27 players who had already been promoted um, to, since, like, for the September 1 roster expansion. So um, that number has changed, I'm sure, at this point. People come up in, uh, to the majors and go down every day. Um, but the other thing that's worth mentioning with this is that just the sheer quantity of players that are coming up right now um, you can probably get a guy that you like because chances are every team is going to have players that they like at this point. Okay. Just because there's so many players coming up. So if it was me, I would look and say, you know what, these are the three to five guys that I am really targeting out of this crop of 30 who have come up. Okay. Um, so maybe that's Puig in your league. Maybe that's Pollock, if he was a free agent, maybe that's a guy like Franklin, maybe it's a guy like Cardulo. Uh, it might be someone like Raymel Tapia, you know, so there's so many different options. Um, that I think a lot of times you can get the guys that you want specifically because everyone's kind of targeting their guys right now. Um, that said, I would still bid, um, I, I would still be aggressive. So I, if I'm fine with my innings right now and I'm rebuilding, I don't really care if I top the 1500 inning cap um, or sorry, balloon past it. I still want to hit the cap. But if, I, if I'm a good, a good place there, especially if I'm at like 1550, I can afford to cut that the starting pitchers that I'm not going to keep, and pick up someone like Tapia if he's not owned, um, there are plenty of examples of names like that. Um, we can kind of take a, little, a couple more chances. So,
0: yeah, and I, I totally agree about being aggressive with the bids too. You know, I had mentioned that you know you don't have as much opportunity cost lost of that roster spot, but the same is kind of true for your money, almost in even a greater way because you're actually going to run out of opportunities to use your money when the season ends because You won't be able to start auctions anymore. So this is kind of your last chance. If you have money, the same way that we talk about not leaving money on the table in the auction, this is kind of your last chance not to leave money on the table during the season. So if you've got extra cash, maybe you're going to bid and get a player at a price where you don't love them in the end. But it's kind of worth it to go a little more, see if you like him at that price, because otherwise someone was just going to win them anyway. And then, like we said, absolute worst case scenario, you just cut them for free in the offseason. Wait till the cut deadline, though. Don't cut them <laughs> early. Hey, that's
1: that's season strategy 101, Tom. We got to
0: yeah. wait a couple Well, weeks I have that. I have getting a head start in the offseason here on our list. So that's my my head start offseason advice is wait till the cut deadline. Okay. Yeah, I think you and Justin uh, beat a dead horse with that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other topics you wanted to cover tonight? Um, I guess the only other thing that I was going to mention, you know, we we already kind of crossed into a lot of these strategies for rebuilding teams, which are kind of the converse of um, for the contending teams. Only other thing I wanted to mention is the roster organizer, which uh, we, Niv did a little poll earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, asking how people use the roster organizer, and most teams say they use it in the off season. What some teams aren't always remembering is that it's actually available during the season as well. You just have to type in roster organizer to get to it. Uh, and I think it's really handy, especially if you're a rebuilding team at this point, because, you know, you can go through your team and kind of have an idea of who you're going to cut or, or, you know, what you think. But the roster organizer really lets you visualize that. And even now, you can actually put in target players. So you can put in kind of a hypothetical player that you want to target, play around with different ways that your team is going to look. I, I know you yeah, probably I did this, Joe, right. and I, I did tent- for previous seasons. Yeah, I use I use the roster organizer all the time. But I think that, like, if you're contending,
1: um, I can understand why you never would have used it in
0: season. Right, you might not even think to look for it. Yeah,
1: um, but the moment that you decide that you're playing for next year, I would be playing around with it because I think Absolutely. that it, um, it gives you the option to be able to see what your team looks like, like you had mentioned. Um, it also helps with determining like which trades you might want to pursue or not. I know Trey and I used it a lot in uh, brinksmanship once we determined that we were kind of playing towards next season um, just to see the impact of deals and such.
0: Uh, And I think we mentioned a lot, you know, a lot of times with the deal, the best thing you can do if you're rebuilding is just try and get the best value available. But there is a point where, you know, if you've got eight outfielders on your team that you think are going to be keepers next year, you know, it might still be worth it to acquire another outfielder, knowing you can always trade someone in the offseason. But it does help you just kind of think about those things. If you have the choice between a couple guys and you realize that there's a position you want to get a head start on, it just lets you kind of think about that stuff ahead of time. and. You know, maybe it doesn't affect in the end what player you trade for, but it just gives you kind of more of an idea what you're going to be in on. And you already, like I said, you get a head start on the offseason just thinking about what you need to look for. I just I really like it to help you get a higher comfort level with your team and with what you're going to be looking for especially if you're rebuilding. If you're contending, chances are you have other things to worry about at that point. <laughs> so
1: real quick, if you are not familiar with the organizer or didn't realize that it was available in season, the way to access it is to click on your team tab or your lineups tab, and it's going to be in the top left, just below... Um, oh, good. There's a button for yeah, it. Yeah, there's a button for it, right below... Okay. It, like, it used to be that lineups. you had to
0: actually type in roster organizer in the URL, but I guess Nip has added that. Yeah, so those those
1: buttons exist. Um, The other thing that I was going to say, just going off your point as far as helping you plan, I think for rebuilding teams, it's really easy to get sucked into the whole, I want future value, I'm ditching present value. One of the things that the organizer can help with is help you see... where you stand as far as having value for next year and having value a couple of years into the future. Okay. So a lot of times, if you're stocking up on prospects and you were using the roster organizer, you could look at your team and say, okay, well, first base, I might have Josh Bell, second base, I have Cano, shortstop, I have Machado, um, et cetera, et cetera. But in my outfield, I don't have anyone, but I have these 10 prospects. Okay. Well, if you, if those prospects are in single, a, you're probably not expecting them to be up middle of next year, maybe they're up end of next year but you're going to need a lot of outfielders so you might want to look at it and say, hmm, you know what um, I should be trading all of the, some of those depth guys that I have who are cheaper that maybe someone wants and buy a, in on a guy like a Mookie Betts or a Carlos Gonzalez or someone along those lines um, who I think I could keep but also is going to be productive next year. So even though um, they might not have an Justin will, his years will perk up on this. They might not have as much surplus. Um, They're going to produce a lot. Uh, You're going to need guys like that in order to compete next
0: year. So Yeah, um, I know you've talked in the past about um, the idea of kind of adding surplus value to production value. Yeah. Which is actually an idea that I've talked about with Justin um, with regards to football, too. Because in football, the prices are even higher inflated. Some of the top players regularly go for $100 or more. And I've really kind of homed in on that idea of adding their surplus value. And so if you spend $100 on a player you thought was worth 120 that's already great surplus value. But that also provides a lot more benefit to your team than if you bought a $20 player for $1. Both of them are good, but having the surplus on a $120 value gives you an extra level of production and of value to your team. Yeah, so I can give so. a
1: real-life example of this um, just because we pulled a trade that was similar to this right now. So in brinksmanship, Trey and I traded for a $40 Mookie Betts, and we gave away a $4 Vince Velasquez, a $3 Andrew Benintendi, and a $3 Aaron Nola. Um, So there was a lot of surplus value on those names that we gave up. Um, But we didn't have, when looking at our team for next year, we had a lot of guys who were like that, where we thought, you know what, there's going to be a lot of production. But we want a guy like Betts, who we think Betts is probably five or six to eight underpaid right now. Um, but we needed someone like that we could put in our lineup, um, in order to have those points. But we also wanted someone who wasn't, um,
0: like maybe McCutcheon, uh, going to be way overpaid and we thought was an obvious cut. So, yeah, I, I think it almost, when I think about it now, it, it kind of is like an idea of getting a head start on not leaving money on the table in your draft. Yeah. Cause just, if you think theoretically, if you got a team of a bunch of $20 players and you got each of them for $1. You could get a ton of surplus value, but eventually you would hit a wall where now you have all these one dollar players. You're filling up all your roster spots and you can't spend the rest of your money effectively. You know, so at some point you do need to own some of those guys who maybe are a higher salaried player. Of course, you want to own them at a lower price than the value you have on them, but maybe you might be willing to take a little cut where instead of getting, you know, a $15 surplus, you have a guy that's a $10 or $5 surplus, but he's also helping you take advantage of some of your money and not just try and build this super, you know, discount team where you have great surplus value, but not a lot of production value. Yeah.
1: So I think this is going to be something that we debate in the offseason a lot. Um, I'm sure
0: Justin will have a lot of thoughts on yeah, this topic. <laughs> and I've talked to Justin some
1: about it, but I think for me, it boils down to the question of, um, and this is maybe just an off-season teaser, I guess, but um, would you rather have a $40 player with five surplus or a $10 player with 10
0: surplus? You know, like, um, right. where... And, like, and I think there's arguments for both, which, of course, we're going to have those arguments. <laughs> I, I think
1: there are two,
0: but I think, I, I think what it boils down
1: to is that if you have equal surplus, okay, um, you definitely want the guy who's producing more. Okay, so if that's the case, um, then what's going to happen is that there is an amount of trade off where you're willing to accept less surplus in order to take a higher production player um, instead of higher surplus at a lower product. And I don't know what the dividing line is on that, Um, but I think that it definitely skews towards higher production, less surplus instead of lower production. High surplus. Now you might have your players like Corey Seager, who you have for twenty dollars and is worth forty. Okay, well that's forty production. Um, you're not gonna. That's not the guy that you're. We're trading. It, it might be your um, your one dollar Adam Duv- Duvall, who is maybe worth ten, you know, or something like that. Um, but I I think that's just something to be aware of. That's definitely going to come up in the off season, just based off the discussions that we've had so far. Um, and that was just something I would be wary of, I guess, as you move forward towards the offseason that's something i specifically paid attention to um at the trade deadline i think one of the other things with that too is that we say um if i have 20 take the cheaper guy and then go into the auction and buy a 40 dollar player there is there's is a finite number
0: of 40 dollar players as well so I, I right that that's kind of where i think it's that idea of like not leaving money on the table you know you can Say till the cows come home that your plan is to get that forty dollar player, but you know if things go wrong in the auction or if other teams are spending, you know, really bad prices on them, you know, it's nice enough to say, oh, I'm going to let that other team spend and kill their team because they're not going to have any surplus. But if there were only five forty dollar players and they all go at bad prices, now you have no forty dollar player. So sometimes like it, it can pay to lock that guy in, you know, maybe at a five dollar surplus. Instead of having to take the chance that in the auction, you're now going to have to get him at an even higher price at a no surplus. Yeah. And I think so. One of the things that um, we should clarify on this, too, is that
1: I am not saying overpay for players. Um, You still want the players to have surplus. I'm talking about um, differentiating between five dollars surplus, forty dollar players and ten dollars surplus, twenty dollar players. Right there. situations like that where we're still talking about assets that are keepable. Um, We're not talking about your $45 Chris Davis. That's not someone that you're going to keep. That's not someone that you should be trading for if you're rebuilding. Uh, And even if you have him in the off season, that is a guy that you should cut. So I think that that's an important clarification to make on this um, just as we move forward, because it, it would be easy to think about this and say, okay, well, if we're valuing production, what about the $30 player who I have for 40? You don't want to overpay,
0: that, right? Okay? And, um, and I think that's actually where it might come back to. If you are a contending team, maybe you do pay forty to get that player just to get them for the last month—that rental idea. Yeah. But if you're if you're picking up someone to own, you know, that's okay. a different story. Yeah, exactly. So, is there anything else we wanted to touch on tonight, or we start? Uh, I think that's kind of all the topics I had. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have anything yeah, else. Uh, so. Just um, what's that? I don't have anything else. I think we're in good shape. So. Oh, okay. gonna- I was just going to say just a um, a little teaser for um, for our listeners. Uh, Trey had a really cool idea that going forward, we might try out where we move towards a little more player, uh, player specific content. So we might try something where we maybe all pick a couple players and we'll dig into them a little deeper. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to switch to that full time, but I think we might try that out for the next episode. Um, might be a cool way, especially in out baseball, where you know, there's a little bit different scoring system than in most leagues, we could really dig into some of those unique players. Um, So I think we'll try that out. If everybody likes it, maybe we'll stick with it. In the offseason, it might help us to have topics, you know, in those doldrums of December and January when we can't talk about the cut deadline endlessly. Um, So stay tuned for that. We'll probably kind of try that out and try maybe a mix between that and some of these more strategy-specific episodes going forward. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll talk to you next week.